Well, this morning, uh, my scripture or my reference is a picture frame. Now, whenever we think of reframing, I always would say this whenever we were, you know, in counseling and so on, reframing is to reset things uh, in a different tone or reevaluate, reexamine, replan, reframe how we see things. Now, often we have a picture frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an 8 by 10 I need an 8 by 10 okay well anyhow a picture frame now often I always remember was it romper stomper do romper whatever it was romper room or something romper room romper room yeah Miss Sally yeah remember you know she'd get on there and she'd have this there this well it was first of all it was just a plain paint wasn't plain it was a, a, a circle that was had, had uh, paper on it or something, and she would go romper, dumper, stumper, do something like that, and then the fur would go fuzzy, and then it would come up, and she had a clear frame, and then she'd say, and I see Mary, and I see, you know, it's like she can, the television can see, she can see through the television to you, and there was, you'd be surprised how many people thought that that was true, <laughs> that if you're watching television, they're watching you. It's not true in case you thought that, okay? So, in, in a picture frame, there, there are many different ways that we have frames. These, this one's made out of wood. But um, Jenny, our daughter-in-law, she has some of her paintings, and she has them on old windows, you know, out of buildings. And uh, they take those old windows, and she paints pictures uh, like a scenery and, or different um, pictures for each picture, a different painting for each frame. And sometimes she'll have doors, those old doors, and she, can, she has them hanging on walls, and the, she has the whole door as a picture. And it's like crazy things that people can do with picture frames. And some are made of steel, and some are made of wood, and some are made of whatever. So the challenge is that whenever we're going to reframe something, often in the, the realm of a picture, we take a picture out of a frame and put it in a, another frame. So we're reframing it. Well, whenever we're looking at our life and we're looking at the spiritual reframe, what we're looking at is how that we interpret life. So what is the framework of our life? That how do we, you know, um, when my friend called me, sometimes it's... it's <laughs> It's very difficult being um, um, a grief counselor or, or so-called so um, person who people think is an expert in grief because they call with the most challenging of problems that how does a pastor deal with the death of his grandson? And how does he take care of that with a congregation and take care of that with his own daughter? And there are a lot of frameworks, you know, and I could go through and list all the people that pop up in my, in my head, all of the children that you've, their parents that you've spoken with and helped through the years that had to deal with the death of their child. And, and you look at this frame that you have for your own life, and it's challenging sometimes. But it's the security that we have in the scriptures that gives us focus. 
the, it's, the, it's the focus that we have in understanding who we are in Jesus Christ. And if we have that in place, this framework of our salvation and framework of our, of our hope. Now remember, hope is not uh, wishful thinking. I hope it doesn't rain. That, not that. The hope that we have in Christ is a definite point in time that we just haven't arrived at yet. So the, the blessed hope of Christ's return, it is coming. We just haven't arrived at it yet. Just like in the Old Testament, it was the hope that the Messiah would come. And gee, there was a definite point of time in which Christ came, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. So we find that they, these promises that God has given to us, they want to be, or we are to make them the framework of our life. So that when we, when we are looking at our life, it is framed in the scriptures and how that the scriptures are part of us. Now, we often, you know, sometimes we think of you know, idioms. An idiom is uh, a group of words which have meaning but could, could not be de uh, derived from the words that they were created, such as a broom, a, a new broom. Anybody know this one? A new broom sweeps clean. <laughs> a new broom sweeps, that's an idiom. Um, move the goalposts. About move with the times. <laughs> to frame or express words or concepts or plans differently. So reframe then is deciding that we're going to look at things differently. Now, the mere act of committing ourselves to change is a big, a big part of it. You, you know, change doesn't come easily. Often, change comes because of pain. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot for us to move. <laughs> and whenever, we're, whenever we have enough pain, generally people move, you know. Uh, and so the challenge is for us to move and to move with the will of God and with the purpose of God before there's pain, so much pain that we have to, you know, break from it. I often think of uh, Billy Graham. He has a book entitled... Of course, he's passed, but his book is entitled Wisdom for Each Day. So whenever we are looking at building a framework of our lives through which we make decisions, and we make about 150 decisions a day, you know, average uh, little decisions, we make about 150 of them a day. And so we need to build a framework around how that we make those 150 decisions. And the scriptures are to be our framework of how we make choices. And whenever we're looking at these choices, they are seemingly unimportant, but they are very important. So they need to, we need to build the right traits upon which to make the right choices. Now, <laughs> reframe is to reinterpret so when I am reframing or reinterpreting my life, I am reinterpreting how that I see myself. I am reinterpreting, I'm reinventing who I am, my purpose. I am reinventing what works in my life <laughs> and what doesn't work in my life. Uh, so reframe then is to support or enclose, such as a picture, to change the plans or basic details or policies or ideas. To reframe is to look at the present 
or think of beliefs and ideas in a new and different way, to change the focus or perspective, to say something in a different way, reframe the question. So whenever we're putting this stuff together, this ideas of frame and reframe and relook and re reinvent, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, you know, we start with what we know and we go on from there. Now, the scriptures that I have for this are in Proverbs chapter 23. And Billy Graham, part of his daily reading, you know, he read, you know, he'd read through the Bible and he'd read the different scriptures thing. But part of his daily reading were Psalms and Proverbs. When he finished them, he started over again. Because what he was doing was taking the Proverbs that are listed in the scriptures and using them to solidify the framework upon which he made all of his 150 decisions, so to speak. So if we have to have something that tells us what is correct and how that we can become more like Christ and less like our flesh or self or whatever that continues to get in the way. So let's read some of Proverbs 23. Um, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Okay? Now, <clears throat> you'd say, well, it's, well, what does that have to do? Well, if you look at the framework in which this, the framework with which this was written, you have individuals that were of extreme poverty, I mean, extreme poverty. And if perchance they were brought into to sit down at the ruler's table, they would be under scrutiny as to what they are doing and what they are like as individuals. Are they, are, you know, do they eat every, it says right here, and put a knife to your throat. <laughs> if, you are to, if you are a man um, given to appetite, it's meaning that don't go and stuff yourself that would be just the same as cutting your throat. Because you, how you appear and what you appear to be doing and what the motive for your being there is, and it says, do you do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive foods. Don't be greedy for all of that fancy food. It may not be so tasty. So talking about desires, how those desires are interpreted. Verse 4 says, do not, do not, overwork, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Now, there again, what does it mean to be rich? What would it mean to have finances that we didn't have to worry, so to speak, about anything? Do you know what one of the greatest worries of a person who is wealthy is? They're going to lose their wealth. So they're always worried about it. Is the stock market up? Is the stock market down? Um, if, what is, what's the world trade thing? What's the trade going on in Indonesia and in China and what's going on in, around the world? So will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like eagles toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. The, uh, another version has, don't accept an invitation to eat selfish to eat at a selfish person's table, no matter how good it is. People like that take note of how much you eat. They say, take what you want, but they don't mean it. 
So, little things. And then, of course, the word of our text, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And the challenge is, how do we build the character, the framework around our heart? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can Jesus, they talk about how that, can pure water and bad water come out of the same well? So out of the abundance of our heart, the attitude, the perspective, how we look at things, (laughs) how we interpret things, how we interpret the news, how we interpret sports, (laughs) how we interpret, you know, everything we have, everything we look at, we have an evaluation, we have a template of understanding that we use whenever we're looking at things. And so the challenge in this whole perspective is here to understand our hearts and to know what part of our heart is governed by the Scripture, by the Holy Spirit, what God is trying to teach us, and how much pain do I have to have before I will reevaluate how I look at things. Pain is a terrible thing. Uh, it's just, um, well, I don't want to um, talk about all the people that over the years, of all the ones who, the hundreds of thousands of people who have died and those in grief have confided, but I, I remember so vividly some of the, the children and their deaths and the parents and their pain and how to have to deal with such things. Because there's no greater pain in life than the death of a child. And it's hard to deal with so much pain. And the challenge that comes for people (laughs) is to try and make sense out of something that doesn't make any sense. And so people wanting to bring comfort often end up creating more pain. And you see, that's why as we look at ourselves, we need to recognize that we need to spend time in God's presence so that we can, in God's presence, we can look at life from a different perspective. Because in God's presence, we know that we're safe and the people that we love that know Christ, they are safe in heaven. But being and grieving is not selfish. Loving is not selfish. God is not selfish because he loves us. He loves us because it's his character and he he wants us to find fulfillment and purpose in, in our life because that's what he created us for was to find fulfillment and purpose. But we have to build a framework of understanding that helps us interpret life. You know, so we are a result. We are here as a result of the choices that we have made. And the choices we have made, if we continue to make them, they'll continue to be the same thing. So we have to evaluate, is this in God's presence, is this what I am to be doing? And how I am to view life and to view myself. For as a man thinks in his heart, 
so he is. <laughs> you know, decisions are forks in the road. You know, Yogi Bear, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. <laughs> when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Well, which way? You didn't say, just take it, you know. So life doesn't happen to us. We are an active participant. We get out of life what we choose. See, and God wants us to choose wisely. You know, how many movies, the, uh, uh, what was it, um, Indiana Jones and Search for the Holy Grail, and the guy, he's this guy been in this cave for hundreds of years, and he drinks from the cup that Christ drank. That was almost a bad decision. <laughs> and, uh, and the greedy guy comes in and uh, the guy says, choose wisely. <laughs> because there was cups of gold and jewels and so on and the guy picks the co- cup of gold and jewels and dips it into the water and drinks it and course he's a bad guy he just disappears you know (laughs) so choose wisely and and our life is how do we make wise choices you know what is wise decisions wise decisions is looking at what we have looking at how we've got to this point not giving up on who we are not giving up on what God has promised us and remembering that God is in charge and so we are God has a divine plan, and so in that plan and in that purpose, God has given us wisdom and understanding and foresight and knowledge and a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. You know, a few weeks ago, I was studying and looking at these things, and um, it just came across the Holy Spirit is wisdom. And I mentioned this in Sunday school. Often I thought of the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit as kind of like packages that come. You know, you get the gifts of the Spirit. You know, those are packages of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives to you, you know, the the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, knowledge, and uh, all on. And there's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, fruits. Well, it's like packages on two different ways that kind of converge and He divides severally as he wills. In our life, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have his presence inside of us, the presence of God. I have wisdom because I have God. I don't have to wait for the package to show up. I already have it because God, God is in me. (laughs) I already have a word of knowledge that God can put in my mind thoughts that I could never think of in any human perspective. God can give me a perspective that is different. That's the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we should be the most creative people on the planet because The creative power of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father, spoke the world into existence and no two blades of grass are the same. And he is inside of us to look at life and to interpret life through the lens 
of eternity. And through the giftings of his spirit. And so they're all around me. They encompass my heart and they encompass my mind. And they encompass how I see things. So there is a will and there is a purpose and there's an understanding. There's a vocation that we look at in ourselves. But we are more than that. We are a child of the Most High God. And nothing can ever separate us from God. Whether we're 11 or 13 or 16 or 18, those were all children, parents that I counseled, that their kids were killed. Here in his presence, we are undone. We don't have the answers. We have the answer. I don't know how to answer your question, but I know how and who brings us peace. I don't have something you can write on a piece of paper and say, this is what you need to do, but I know the one who will give you the thoughts and the interpretation and the understanding of what we should do. (laughs) You know, a coach that doesn't learn more about his profession, he's going to fail at it. And we are coaches of our own life. We are coaches of our own life, of our own destiny, of what we are to do and not do. So how will you live for the next 100 years? Well, 100 years, what's that mean? How will you live for the next 50? How about the next 15? How about the next five? How about the next one year? How about the next week? You see, what is our security in the moment is our security for eternity. What is our hope in the moment is our hope for eternity. What is the hope of eternal life, whether I live or whether I die, I belong to God, and so if it happens today or doesn't happen for 50 more years, I'm safe and so I can go about living. And so in that security of life, I find hope and presence and I found direction because God is the one who gives me the peace that what I have chosen, no matter what the obstacles, will be good for me, will be the best for me. God is my source. He is the ruler of my life. We trust and obey. God's word makes the framework of our life. And remember, framework, frames of pictures that can be Almost anything. (laughs) Frames of pictures that can all be almost anything. Today's message is about reframing our lives with the Word of God. And so, did you know that in these 150, about, that's what the average is, 150 decisions we make a day, and the bigger decisions we make really once or twice a year, some decisions we make that last a lifetime, but The decisions that we make are not to haunt us. Our failures are not what are important. You know, if if our failures were the most important thing in our life, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. (laughs) You see, forgiveness is about 
letting ourselves go from the failures that we have. (laughs) Society teaches us, oh, I have it somewhere in here. (laughs) Society teaches us, you're the best. (laughs) If somebody doesn't like you, don't worry about it. You know, society has a set of rules to govern itself. And the challenge for us is not to allow society's rules to govern the heart of a spiritual being. That's us. And the spiritual being is Jesus Christ has died so that our failures, you know, in society they tell you forget about your mistakes and go on. Forget about what people say and go on. Jesus says, you've got a real problem here. You've got sin in your life. And then he says, I can take it away from you. I can remove it from you as far as the east is from the west, and I can cleanse you that there is no trace of that sin in your life ever again. You see, society says, forget about it. Jesus says, cleanse it. (laughs) And then he says, don't drag it with you. It's gone. You're forgiven. Your life begins today. Your life begins at this moment. My plan for you begins to reset itself. (laughs) The reset button is your friend. Isn't there games with reset buttons? You push the button when you don't like it. You got to the wrong place. You play those games? You do? I don't know. I don't know what they are, but I just thought I read it. It says push the reset button. So (laughs) I imagine there's a reset button. How about the delete button? The delete button on your computer when you get something, email, or somebody calls you that they've got a better offer for you, and all you need to do is call them back and give them your mother's maiden name and your social security number, and they'll take care of it for you. That's a delete button. (laughs) So don't go there. So the challenge is what's in your frame? What makes up your frame? And what's in your frame? There's a personality disorder called narcissism, and a narcissist is a guy, person, who, I got a whole list of them here. But anyhow, it's a guy who thinks more of himself, has an exaggerated sense of self-importance, has a sense of entitlement and required constant excessive admiration, expects to be recognized as superior even without achievement. Do you know some of these people? Exaggerated achievements and talents, preoccupied with fantasies of success and power, believe they are superior and can only associate with equally special people as them, monopolize conversation, belittle others, expect special favors and unquestioning compliance, take advantage of others, (laughs) step on others as they're going up. You see... We have a society that admires people who admire themselves. We have a society of people that admires people who admires themselves. And look at some of those people on the football players and basketball players and baseball players. They, you know, the people who are stuck on themselves and how grandiose and all that. We admire them. Look at them. People who are, you know, no wonder we're messed up. Because how do we interpret 
How do we interpret our seemingly unimportantness? Because we haven't done the grandiose and we're not stuck on who we are and what we've accomplished. And we're not trying to put somebody down because they don't have what we have. And we're better than them and they're all that nonsense. The kingdom of God is about love and peace and forgiveness and allowing God to be a part of your life to the point that you have love for people who don't seem to need it. (laughs) You have forgiveness for yourself and for others and that you will help those who are in need and you'll come together and rejoice with those who rejoice and you'll weep with those who weep. And when you don't understand, you won't make stuff up. <laughs> you won't make excuses for yourself or for others. But you recognize that there is a God in heaven who created you, who created each of us. And God has a plan for your life. It's so very special that he has given you himself the Holy Spirit, to be part of you and to surround your life and all those 150 decisions that you make that you're going to be surrounded with the ability to make choices according to that which is eternal, not according to that which is human. Our life is more than what we've done. Our life is more important than who we are. Our life has meaning beyond anything that we could ever imagine because God is in you and he has put you here in his kingdom and his family for such a time as this. So you're here by design. Now, let's make the choices that fit the designer. Amen? Let's stand. It says, um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, dare to get a fresh vision. Everyone is walking with mistakes they have made, and almost everyone has made poor decisions on big categories. So get a new vision a victory for your life, a vision we're trusting God to bring it to pass. He will anoint your efforts. His grace and his divine favor will be upon your life. Now this new vision is not just a revamped old vision where you adjust your goals downward to fit your current circumstances. You don't have to figure out how it's going to happen, but you do have to plan for God to work in your heart and mind. And you do have to plan that God will direct your choices. He will heal your heart. He will give strength to you. And just remember, it's not out here waiting for the package to come. It's already here in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in your life. Father, we thank you that you have heard 
our prayer, and Lord, you know the desires of our heart. For God, the desires of our heart, I pray, are your desires for us. So, Lord, we want your will here in your presence. God, we're undone. We don't have the answers. But here in your presence, Lord, we have the answer, and it is you. Help us, Lord, to live more completely and fully, trusting you and trusting your word, trusting that you, Lord, will deliver us from evil, from the evil one. You will deliver us from false desires and false ideals and dreams. God, you will deliver us from these things that we might once again, sit upon that place where we are one with you and friend with friend. We walk, we walk daily knowing that we are your child. And in that place of security, we have wisdom. We have knowledge. We have grace. We have mercy. We have divine favor because we have you. Thank you, Jesus. Make these things real to us here in your presence. Hallelujah. Amen, right? <laughs> Here we are in your presence. God, make them real to us. Amen? Amen. Give a hug. <laughs>